go ahead and find your way to the book of Numbers. In the Old Testament, it's not difficult to find if you've never been there before. As a matter of fact, I'll help you out. We'll start at the very beginning and we'll go to Genesis. Then we'll start going to the right and we'll find Exodus. And then we'll go a little bit further and you'll find Leviticus. And then, boom, you're right there in the book of Numbers. I actually shared a message from this passage a while back to our church. And in the midst of preparing for it, God showed me something else to give specifically to you guys. And it comes from Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. And this specific verse frames the whole context for this series that we're about to go into together. So in Numbers chapter 14, in verse 24, God's word says this, that my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Turn to someone around you and tell them, that man, Caleb, was built different. <laughs> Welcome to week one of the series, Built Different. Over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look into what Caleb was as a man and a follower of God and what goes into being someone who's built different. Now, our modern meaning of the phrase is used to indicate when an individual is on another level. They are elite in some way. They are fearless in some way. And when you take that and consider it towards Caleb's spiritual walk with God and how he lived, dude was built different. I'm just telling you up front. You'll see that over the coming weeks. He was on another level. He had a boldness and a devotion about him. The text tells us that he followed God wholly. His name was even believed to have been taken from the Hebrew word Kalev, which means dog. And the man had a doggedness about him when it came to walking with God. So I think it's an adequate description for this man of God. And so I want us to look at what we stand to learn from what's seen of his life throughout Scripture. And I want for myself and I want for you guys as followers of Jesus to be built different than the world around us. So we're going to take a step towards that. Tonight. Now, let me give you some context. We're going to back up into Numbers chapter 13 here in a minute for our main text tonight. But let me give you some context so you know what's taking place in the story as we get into it. God has liberated his people from Egyptian bondage. They have left Egypt and they are making their way through Moses' leadership towards the land that God had promised to give them as an inheritance as his chosen people. Now, as we get to Numbers chapter 13, they are currently on the edge of that territory that God had promised to give them. And this is where we are given our first introduction to Caleb. So Numbers chapter 13, starting at verse 1, God's word says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names. Help me, Lord Jesus. From the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zakur. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Ori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hashia, the son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodai. 
from the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadai, the son of Susai, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gemali, from the tribe of Asher, Sethur, the son of Michael, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, the son of Vafshi. <laughs> Don't mess it up, I'm in a zone right now. <laughs> from the tribe of Gad, Gael, the son of Machai, these were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Hashia, the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said to them, Go up into the Negev and into the hill country, and see what the land is, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage, and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rahab near Labo Hamath. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron, Ahaman, Sheshai, and Talmai. The descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eshkel and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. Whew. When I was playing baseball at UNA, I got taken out of the starting rotation as a pitcher my sophomore year, which I felt was for unjustifiable reasons, of course. And so I told my pitching coach that. We had a frank discussion when he came to me before practice one day and told me that, hey, we're going to take you out of game one and move you into the bullpen. I said, is that right? Well, let's have a discussion about that for a moment. And so I began to give him my reasons for why that shouldn't take place. And he began to give me his reasons for why it should. And ultimately he's the authority. He makes the decision. So guess who went to the bullpen? I did. But in the midst of that discussion and me trying to plead my case to keep my starting spot on the team, his response at one point was, well, I guess you're just going to have to show me what you're made of. In other words, I want to see how you react. I want to see how you respond Show me what you can truly be. And so I want to, with this first installment, speak to you from that subject. Show me what you're made of. Because I feel like the world's asking that of believers right now. Our first encounter with Caleb is seeing him be chosen as a spy to go scout out the promised land. Only 12 were chosen out of thousands of people. And so that tells us a few things about the kind of men these guys were. And it's comparable to... What we find in Exodus chapter 18 and verse 21 where God gave Moses instructions through Jethro to set aside 70 elders to help him deal with some of the complaints that the people were having that Moses was trying to deal with himself. So in Exodus chapter 18 and verse 21, God says this about these men that were selected. Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. So we can make a pretty good assumption that these guys that were selected as spies to go out into the land probably held some of the same characteristic traits. And so this gives us a first look a little bit into how Caleb was built. And one of the things that we notice about him is that he is able-bodied. If you go back and look in verse 17, it says, Moses sent them to spy out the land. He told them, go into Canaan and go 
up into the Negev and go up into the hill country. So it was kind of a mountainous region. So it was kind of some rugged terrain. It wasn't exactly easy walking to deal with. So these men, which included Caleb, would have no doubt been physical specimens for the most part. The round trip that they went on to cover the land, just to give you a little bit of a measuring stick to know just how much ground they covered, the round trip they went on as they covered the promised land would have spanned a little over 200 miles. And now they didn't have horses or chariots or anything like that that they rode on. Remember, they were spies, and that would have been quite obvious to the people that were inhabiting the land if they were a big convoy of chariots that they'd never seen before rolling through that something inconspicuous might be going on that they need to check out. So this is all on foot. They had to cover a lot of territory, so they had to be in good physical condition. These guys took care of their bodies. Now, let's talk for a moment about something that gets skirted by in church oftentimes just because of the sensitivity of the nature of the topic. But it, it's scriptural. And I need you to understand that we are scripturally mandated to take care of our bodies. 1 Timothy 4.8, the first part of the verse, says this, bodily training is of some value. So it is important that we take care of our bodies. 1 Corinthians 3.16-17 says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple... God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Then in Romans 6, 13, it says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So we have a biblical mandate to take care of our bodies. It's the only one we get. And we need to make sure that we take care of it health-wise. I'm serious, guys. Like, I'm not trying to, I'm not saying, we'll get into this a little bit more but you'll see the fullness of it. But you need to take care of your body. It's the only one you get. You need to maximize its efficiency and the benefits of having it while you're here. And that goes for what you eat diet-wise, what you drink hydration-wise. And I hate water as much as anybody. But there's definitely times when I can make a little more room for that instead of six or seven Mountain Dews or whatever. All right, I have a Mountain Dew problem. I'm sorry. It is what it is. I've tried to cut back, but it's not, it's not easy. We're working on it because I need to take care of my body. The same sense, some of y'all need to go to bed. Oh, my goodness, your body needs sleep. Some of y'all, it's like 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning, and you're still up in your own Xbox Live or whatever. Go to bed, for crying out loud. And it's not hard for you right now because you're at an age and you're at a time where taking care of your body doesn't require as much work as it's going to later down the road. But can I speak on behalf of some of the older people in the back who tell you once you get past this age, things become a lot more difficult to take care of and sustain on a healthy basis. Better to have the good habits formed now. Keeping ourselves healthy, listen, it does have beneficial effects on how we can serve in building the kingdom. That's why it's important that we keep ourselves in shape. Now, that being said, Understand physical handicaps and medical conditions exist that are beyond our control. I'm not saying that you have to be chiseled with a six-pack and perfectly balanced on the BMI chart to serve the Lord. I'm not saying those things. Being healthy and in good condition helps, but it's not all of what is fully meant by being able-bodied. Able in the sense here also means willing or desiring. And I need you to hear this from here on out. Caleb was able-bodied physically. No doubt he was in good shape, but in a stronger sense, he was willing and he desired to be used for God's glory and his purposes. 
Now we can go back and see these passages again. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. I didn't finish the verse. It says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Let's hear it again. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Romans 6, 13, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control. So when we go back and we see these verses once more, we understand that more than anything, we're to yield our bodies to God for Him to use for His glory however He desires. So if God desires that this body go and serve as a teacher at a school, this body goes and does that for God's glory and His purpose in that place. If God desires for this body to go and be a coach somewhere, then this body goes and does that for God's glory and His desire and His purposes in that place. If God calls this body to go be a nurse or a doctor, then I go into that place for His glory and His purposes and the people that He places me around. If God calls this body to go and do urban ministry in an area that nobody else wants to go into, then this body goes into that place for God's glory and his purposes. If God calls this body to go into the depths of India to risk it being destroyed for the sake of the gospel, then this body goes for God's glory and his purposes. That's what being able-bodied is. So I can be the pinnacle of health or I can be confined to a wheelchair. But in both instances, I can still be an able body. Why? Because I'm willing and desiring to be used for God's glory. It's a terrible thing to abuse ability by wasting it. Agreed? I think it's a worse thing to abuse ableness by withholding it. By being unwilling. By being undesiring. To put yourself out there in front of God and say, here's my body. It's yielded for your glory. Servants of God who are built different offer themselves as able bodies, and that's what Caleb was. But he was also God-fearing. One thing that you'll continue to see be true of Caleb is that he was a God-fearing servant. Before getting to this point where we're at in Numbers chapter 13, he had been at Mount Sinai when God descended down on the mountain to pass down the Ten Commandments, Caleb had seen the fire and the smoke fall down from heaven on that mountain. He had heard the thunderous voice of God. He had felt the ground shake beneath his feet as God came down upon that place. He knew God in his holiness. He knew God in his righteousness. He knew God in his justice. He knew God in his pure awesomeness. He had experienced God's judgment even on the people in times past when they had sinned and they had rebelled. And I don't know if y'all have noticed or not, but there seems to be no fear of God in our world today. Rather, there's a blatant, pointed hatred and mockery that people seem to only express toward Yahweh versus other gods of various other religions. Have you seen this? 
It can be another God from another man-made religion, and everybody seems to be fine with it. But once Yahweh, the one true God, gets brought into the mix, people gnash their teeth, they get ugly, they say nasty, hateful, disrespectful things because there's no fear of God anymore. Listen, real followers of God should contain a reverent fear of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence or fear and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Listen, y'all have heard me say this to you before. But so many modern day teachers and preachers of God's word want to push to y'all the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God and his calling and his purpose and his plan for your life. And that's all good and well. I'm about every single bit of that. But that doesn't come without his wrath and his justice and his judgment and his punishment and his hatred of sin in our lives. You can't appreciate the fullness of the good news of the gospel until you realize the depravity of yourself. And as followers of God, we've got to get back to having a healthy fear of God in our lives. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. And I'm going to lump that in with verse 20 and 21. Listen to this. God speaking to his people says, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise he is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. A fear of God is foundational for us in facilitating a desire to walk in His ways, to serve Him, and to love Him. Listen, if you want more consistency in your walking, more passion in your serving, and more fierceness in your loving, develop a healthy fear of God in your life. I'm not talking about cowering as if we're scared of God, like he beats us or abuses us because he quite obviously does not do that, but a healthy fear of who he is and his awesomeness and his hatred for the sin that exists in this world and in our lives. Listen, I never doubted for a moment that my dad loved me growing up. But I had a fear of that man when it came to disobedience, when it came to disrespect, when it came to getting out of line. Why? Because I knew what was going to happen if I did any one of those things. As a matter of fact, he had this really huge leather belt that when I was a kid, I promise you, was like as wide as both my hands put together. And he brought it in my room one time. He said, you see this belt right here? I'm going to hang it right here in your closet. Just so you'll know, you get in trouble from here on out, coming to get that belt. Kid you not, the next time I got in trouble, I beat him to my room. Ran in there and grabbed the belt, threw it under the bed. <laughs> Hiding from discipline. The only problem was at the time I didn't realize it was a discipline of love. Thought it was anger, disappointment, hatred. So many of us run from the discipline of God because we don't realize it's a discipline of love. Matter of fact, God's word tells us he loves those who he disciplines. We've got to get back to having a healthy fear of God in our lives, just like it is with our earthly fathers, so it should be, but in an even greater way with our heavenly father. Servants of God who are built different, they're God-fearing people. Caleb was a God-fearing servant. 
But he also had a strong dependability. He had a strong dependability about him. Caleb was trustworthy, in other words. He had dependability. It's a rare thing nowadays, dependability is. And I find that to be more and more true as I walk through life. But Caleb was the kind of person you could count on to be there and get the job done. And also to tell you how it is. You didn't have to wonder or worry when the time came to head out on the mission if Caleb was going to show up or not. I've got a few people in my life that have a tendency at any given moment to flake out. And it always puts me on edge making plans with them because of that. And so I like to call them dependers because their commitment depends on if any other options become available in between now and the time of commitment. They're dependers. You got people like this in your life? You got some people that'll flake out on you from time to time? Any of y'all, those people, and you know it, you want to admit it and repent of it and try to do better? We've all got people like that in our lives to some extent, I think. But on the flip side of that, I've got trustworthy people in my life too. I've got people in my life that I can always count on to show up and get the job done no matter what. I like to call them dependables because they're always just there. Let me ask you a personal question. What kind of servant does Jesus have in you? A depender? Yeah, Jesus, I'll be there. Depending on if nothing else becomes available. Or does he have a dependable? Yeah, Jesus, I'll be there. Regardless of what's going on. Regardless of what might show up between now and then. I can tell you what kind he's looking for. In Luke chapter 12, verses 42 through 44, it says, The Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Matthew chapter 25, verse 29, For to everyone who has, more will be given. and He will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is looking for people, for servants that he can depend on to carry out his mission on this earth. Some of you need to hear this in love tonight. And let me preface that again before I say this next part. Some of you need to hear this from a place of love tonight. Stop backing out on Jesus. He has chosen you specifically for a certain task, for a certain calling, for a certain path that he has placed you on. Just like Caleb was chosen specifically to be one of 12 men to go into the promised land and scout out the area and give a report, God has chosen you specifically for a certain task. Stop backing out on it. Stop making empty promises to God Almighty that you will be there and do this and share that and then going back on your word. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, better not to vow to God at all than to make a promise to him and go back on it because he takes no pleasure in it. Stop backing out on Jesus if you've been doing so recently. Servants of God who are built different, they have a dependability about them. But they're also watchfully observant. Go back and look at verse 17. After the people had gone into the country, 
Moses says, go into the hill country in verse 18 and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they're few or many. Whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they dwell in are camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring back some fruit of the land. Caleb and his team were given the assignment of assessing the land as they went through. So Moses says, go in and look at the people. Are they strong or weak? Are they few or many? Go in and look at the land. Is it good or bad? Is it rich or is it poor? Go in and look at the cities. Are they camps or are they strongholds? Go in and see if there's any trees or not. I don't know exactly why he was so passionate about having trees in the place. Maybe he was a landscaper and he just liked the look of it, but he wanted to know if there were trees in or not. Their mission was more than just a stroll through the land enjoying the scenery is what I'm trying to get you to see. It's so much more than just taking a casual walk through a place that they had never been before to see what it looked like. I'm getting older now and I find myself, me and Ashley do, getting to that stage in life where I never really understood it when I was younger, but how your parents or even your grandparents were just like, let's get in a car and take a nice little drive. I'm like, why in the world would we do that? What, what kind of entertainment and what kind of excitement is that? And I'm getting to that point now where I'm like, hey, you want to get in the car and just go for a ride? And just check out the scenery? Like, I don't, I don't know, but there was more than that than what they were going through. It wasn't just getting in the car and going through a ride. They were going in with the purpose of developing a POA, a plan of action for how they could go in and obtain the promise that God was bringing into their life. Caleb, in specific, makes a comment later on in the chapter that lets us know he intently observed what he saw. And if you want to see what the comment is, you've got to come back next week. Now, I love going to the beach. Anybody in here uh, a beach bum? Oh, there's more than that, my goodness. I love going to the beach for various reasons. I love the beauty of the ocean. I like to get away. I like to spend family time. We enjoy, in a very leisure, non-competitive way, putt-putt, right? It never gets competitive. There's never been any family split over putt-putt or anything like that. But listen, one of my main enjoyments about going to the beach is people watching. Like for a couple of years now, my family has been trying to get us to go and do like a beach house and kind of have like a more private area where we're away from everybody. And I'm like, no, I want the condo. Man. I want people everywhere. I want to sit my butt down in the sand and I want to watch the show. <laughs> because there is nothing more entertaining than the various things that you see while on a public beach. I love the people watch. But listen to me, like Caleb on his mission, we're not here to casually stroll through life. We're here to be aware and observant of the souls that surround us each and every day. We're here to do so much than just watch the people around us. We're here to watch and observe and be aware of the atmospheres and the places that God has placed us in. But we do so with the intentions of developing a plan of action of how we are going to intervene and interject ourselves relationally into their lives for the sake of sharing with them the good news of the hope that is Jesus Christ through his gospel message. So much more of life than just us casually strolling by and let day by day pass us without doing anything about the lost souls that are around us that are perishing on a daily basis. Listen, every single one of us has got to break out of this habit that we have of trudging through day after day just to get it over and done with. Jesus told his disciples, look around you. You're supposed to be laborers in the field of souls that I have placed you in the midst of laborers of God, men and women here tonight. 
Look around you on your campus tomorrow. Look around you while you're at work. Look around you while you walk into the gym. Look around you at your apartment complex. Servants of God who are built different will be watchfully observant with the purpose of developing a plan of action to win lost souls by sharing the gospel with them. No more of this kicking back and just taking it easy in life, guys. We can't be content with that. So much more than just getting to a good place for us personally. Be observant. How many times have you spent the entirety of your day without hardly even making eye contact with another person? Man, that's not who God called us to be. Or what he called us to do here on this earth. Be bold, be courageous, be strong. Look for the opportunities that he will bring into your life. And then one last one, and we'll bring it to an end. Servants of God who are built different, they have a selfless intentionality about them. You want to talk about someone who is built different? Have this characteristic, because I promise you it's a rare one. This nation, the, the nation of Israel is literally Standing on the edge of promise. But there's work that has to be done before they can start moving into that place. And Caleb selflessly embarks on the mission. Listen, not because he wanted the recognition or not because he had some personal gain to earn for himself from the endeavor, but so his people... And the generations to come after him could experience the blessing of God's promise. And God's taught me some fresh things lately with this. So let me rehash it one more time. Caleb didn't embark on this mission because he wanted the recognition of being one of the elite that went in. He didn't embark on this mission because he had something to gain personally from it. He did it because he wanted his people and the generations after him to experience the fullness of God's blessing in their life. And God's taught me some specific things here lately along these lines. Come here, bud. You want to help me out? Can you say hey? When me and Ashley became parents, Graham will be two in November. In that short amount of time, one of the things that I became the most aware of in my personal life was how selfishly I lived. And now I'm not saying that you have to have a child in order for God to reveal the depth of your selfishness. But it's what it did for me. And I never realized how much I spent on myself. And how much of my planning, how much of my scheming developed only on me. And what I had to gain from this life. 
And I look at Caleb's life, and I look at what he did. Look at how he offered himself up for that specific mission. I think about the things that God has brought into my life and the things that he's shown me recently. And this truth has become abundantly clear to me over the past year and a half, and that's as believers. This life can't be about what we stand to gain, but what others stand to lose. As Caleb looked on the edge of promise, he didn't see what he stood to gain by going in. He saw what he saw the rest of his people standing to lose if he didn't go in. And that was missing out on the fullness of God's blessing and promise that he desired to bring into their lives. And as I look out on you guys tonight, and as I think about my son, my prayer is that you guys as a generation of believers, as a generation of soul winners, would consider the reality of what a generation that is coming behind you stands to lose if you don't live for God now. Unfortunately, later on in the history of the nation, after the people went into the land of promise, it says there was a generation that rose up that knew not Joshua or the Lord. Is that how we want our generation to be defined? As a generation that calls the next to not know the Lord or his ways? Guys, we have to live our lives with a selfless intentionality that realizes this life is not about me. But those around me and those that are coming behind me to blaze a trail that lets them know Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And that's it. We're to be built different. So let's show the world what we're made of by presenting ourselves as able-bodied, God-fearing, dependable, observant, selfless servants. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.